Today on the Matt Walsh Show, some of the mayors in major cities that are currently under lockdown have decided that they're allowed to break their own rules because apparently, as Orwell wrote famously, some animals are more equal than others. So we'll talk about that. Also, five headlines, including a dad being arrested in front of his six-year-old daughter in an, in an empty park in Colorado because they were playing t-ball, which is uh, against the law now. So uh, that will also be discussed. And today we cancel the media outlets all of them that have decided to become propaganda arms for the Chinese government. And it's only getting worse, and they're being more and more blatant about it. So the latest example of this is uh, really blood-curdling. So all of that today on the way. But uh, before we get going with with, um, with everything else, uh, I want to tell you about LegalZoom, because, you know, in these times, things are, are pretty uncertain, and uh, I think it's a perfect time to start thinking about what your plan is uh, now that health and safety is on the top of your mind, it's on top of everybody's mind. No matter what happens, you want to make sure that your loved ones are protected in the future. That's why LegalZoom continues to provide a reliable way for everyone to set up the right estate plan without even leaving your home. Uh, it starts with finding the answers to your questions. Do you need uh, a last will and testament or a living trust? You know, what about an advanced healthcare directive? Uh, what's the power of attorney? All these, all these questions that I know I have, and I can go to LegalZoom. To answer, thankfully, you don't have to figure everything out on your own. LegalZoom's online resources make it easy to get started. And uh, if you need to speak to an attorney, their independent attorney network is there to guide and advise you. LegalZoom isn't a law firm, so you won't have to worry about expensive billable hours adding up. Uh, they're just here to give you information and to, and to guide you in the right uh, direction. To take an important step for your family today, just go to LegalZoom.com to get started on a last will, living trust, and more. And make sure that you enter code Walsh at checkout for special savings. That's LegalZoom.com, code Walsh, LegalZoom, where life meets legal. Uh, also, before we get uh, into, the, into the meat of things here, I also wanted to mention we are, a programming note, we're, we're unveiling a new segment on the show that I'm pretty excited about. Because you know that, um, well, as you know, I'm a theocratic fascist uh, dictator, and uh, my, my word is gospel. Um, everything I say goes uh, my word is infallible, you know, and uh, I must be obeyed always uh, upon penalty of death. <clears throat> so but it, that makes me, you know, sort of a, a trusted advisor and someone whose advice you can trust and in fact must trust. Uh, you, you, you have no choice. So um, the, the new segment, uh, we're gonna, eventually you're going to have the ability to actually call in, which, which will be pretty exciting. We can call into the show and, we can, and you can uh, solicit my advice that way. But for now... If you want to, you can send a video. Um, you can send it to mattwalshshow at gmail.com. If you have any kind of uh, question, any anything at all, any any you need you need guidance, you need you need advice, you have a dispute, a dilemma, uh, really anything at all, just record a video, make it short. Don't go babbling forever like I do. Maybe just under thirty seconds. You can send it to mattwalshshow at gmail.com, and then maybe I'll play your video on the show and. Uh, and impart my infallible decree upon your dilemma. Okay, um, it will perhaps not surprise you to learn that our fearless leaders in government who have shut down nearly every aspect of our daily lives are not terribly interested in following their own orders. Uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio, just as, as one example, you may recall that he, a couple weeks ago, was uh, working out still at a gym. He was going to a gym to work out. Everyone else was told to stay inside, and if you want to work out, you know, you could do crunches or push-ups or something. 
But no, he had to go work out in the gym. And then this week, it, it turns out, after getting criticism for that, Mayor de Blasio stopped going to the gym. But he has decided to replace the gym with uh, instead going to walk in a park each day. And the problem there is that the park is 11 miles from his house. Now, why can't he walk around his house, around where he actually lives? Or I'm sure there's a park closer to his house that he could walk, or a treadmill. I'm sure he has a treadmill. But no, he says that uh, he was asked about this, and he said that he, he needs to go to this particular park and walk because it helps him be effective. Now, I'm almost tempted to say that if this is his version of effective, then he should probably keep doing the walks because I'd hate to see him ineffective. If this is what he looks like effective, then can you only imagine? Can you imagine how downright catastrophic his ineffective must be? But of course, whether he needs it, quote unquote, or not, um, is irrelevant because everybody else is told not to drive those kinds of distances for non-essential reasons. In most of the states and cities that are locked down, uh, you, you can't drive 11 miles to go to a park. If they find out you're doing that, you're going to be in trouble. And then we get to the mayor of Chicago. She has, like most other mayors around the country, put her city on lockdown as well, of course, to close non-essential businesses, quote-unquote non-essential businesses. Uh, she's even told her residents how long they're allowed to spend outside and for what reasons they're permitted to be outside. So she has said that uh, that you know be outside is not for 5Ks. So if you're running 5K, 5 kilometers, it's not for that. So she she's telling her residents what the outside is for. Outdoors is for a certain purpose, and she'll tell you what that purpose is. This is how long you're permitted to walk, and no longer. Now, as part of this shutdown, obviously, hair salons are closed, and residents are forbidden from getting a professional haircut. And if you are a professional hairstylist or a barber or something, you're forbidden forbidden from, from operating your business. But guess what Mayor Lightfoot did? That's right. She went and got her haircut this weekend. And here she is uh, justifying that decision. Listen. I'm the public face of this city. I'm on national media, and I'm out in the public eye. And, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a person who I take my personal hygiene very seriously. As I said, I felt like I needed to um, have a haircut. I'm not able to do that myself, and so I got a haircut. Um, you want to talk more about that? You really got to love that note of indignation at the end there. Where she says, you want, you want to keep talking about this? You really want to, you want to talk about this, really? This is what you want to talk about? You're worried about my haircuts? So she's trying to get indignant about it. Meanwhile, uh, if you were caught at a barbershop getting a haircut in Chicago, you could be arrested and the, and the person cutting your hair could be arrested. So that's what happens if, you're, if you get your haircut. But if she gets her haircut, she doesn't even want to talk about it. It's such a silly thing to even talk about. Why are we talking about this? Yeah, I've only shut down every hair salon in the in the city forcibly. And if any of them are caught open, uh, then I'm going to send the cavalry out and, and there's going to be arrests made. But no, don't ask me about that. Why? This is, this is silly. By the way, here's a, here's a PSA she did a couple weeks ago telling people all the things that they don't need to do. And there's one thing in particular that she mentions that I think is, 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 is of note now. Uh, listen to this. The data shows that social distancing works. Please... Pay attention. 
Stay home, save lives. Here's what's up. If I make this shot, you gotta stay home. She shoots, she scores! Debbie, getting your roots done is not essential. Your dog doesn't need to see its friends. You can work on your jump shot inside. Yeah, just a cute little stylish, relatable PSA of, of the, the, the mayor telling you all the things you'll be arrested if you do. But it's okay because you see the thing where she took the, 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 the with the basketball hoop? Oh, that was funny. That was cute. That was, it, it makes it okay. Everything that she's saying is okay then. We, we wouldn't want to question it. But she does say getting your roots done is not essential. So getting your roots done is not essential, but getting your haircut for a TV appearance is? That doesn't make a lot of sense. But, of course, the answer is that her haircut is essential because she's important. Yours is not essential because you're a peon. In fact, listen to the reasoning she gave. She said, I'm someone who takes hygiene very seriously. Think about that justification. Well, I take hygiene very seriously. Okay, and the rest of us don't? Are you saying that all the rest of the people in Chicago don't take hygiene seriously? Now, I've been to Chicago, and I can say that some of them clearly don't, but, uh, but, but still. What, what, what is the insinuation here? That she takes hygiene seriously, but the unwashed masses don't. So she's saying, you guys can all be dirty and unkempt, because you're the peasants. I, on the other hand, am on television. National television, for God's sake. What, what do you want me to do? I would tend to think that actually uh, appearing on TV as the mayor with uncut hair would be a great example to set. The fact that she's on TV, I would say, is all the more reason not to get your hair cut. So that you can show all the, all the good people of your town that you are following your own rules. So we think, what's a, what, what, what's, if, if you're in Chicago and you're watching TV and you see the mayor on TV, what is more important for you to see? For you to see her with a freshly cut hair, or for you to see that she's following her own rules? What is better leadership? What's something as a, as a citizen that, that, that you would more like to see? I, I think probably you want to see the mayor following her own rules. But here's the really frustrating thing. That the excuses that are given by these mayors for what they're doing, the excuses are actually completely legitimate. In a vacuum, I mean. Uh, without context, they're legit. De Blasio says he, he wants, he likes to go to a park and walk. And it's something he needs to do uh, for his physical and psychological health, and it helps him be effective. And never mind the fact that he's not effective, but, but still. Uh, and I get that. The mayor of Chicago says, look, I need a haircut. Um, I like to take care of my appearance. I'm in the public eye, and yeah, I, I don't want to come off like a slob. And, and she also she stipulated that uh, the hairstylist was wearing a mask. Again, in a vacuum, that reasoning is perfectly coherent and perfectly understandable. Yeah, okay, I understand. Yeah, I get that. The problem, though, is that the reasoning only applies to them and nobody else. That's, that's the issue. Because 
that reasoning makes a lot of sense for them. It would also make a lot of sense for everybody else. The way they're operating in their personal lives is exactly what the policy should be. So there's the frustration. Yes, that's exactly it. There's no reason why you can't go 11 miles and walk around a park. There's no reason why de Blasio can't do it. There's no reason why anybody else can't do it. And yeah, you know what? If you want to get your hair cut and uh, you're, you're both practicing good hygiene, you're washing your hands, the hairstylist washes her hands, and she's wearing a mask, maybe you wear a mask too. Um, uh, it's, it's probably okay. What, what, are, what are the chances? What are the, what are the chances of, uh, of the virus being passed? I asked, I asked this exact question before. What are the chances of the virus being passed between two people, let's say a barber and a guy getting his hair cut, if both of them were wearing masks, both of them washed their hands, and both are not showing symptoms? And I know that you can still pass the virus when you're not showing symptoms, but that is still something that lowers the probability, Right. So if you've got all those things working in your favor, what's the chance that you're still going to pass the virus? It's not non-existent, but I would think it's pretty negligible. And the mayor of Chicago must think that it's negligible. Otherwise, she wouldn't have done it. So this is the point that a lot of us have been making. The way, the way that these people are operating, that's exactly what the rest of us should be able to do. That's the point. Just taking reasonable precautions, but otherwise... If you're asymptomatic and if you don't have pre-existing conditions and if you're not elderly, go about your life while taking those precautions that may include even something like wearing a mask. That's what these people are doing. Why can't we? That would be reasonable. And you can keep the economy going. Now, all this stuff we hear from the mayor of Chicago and these other mayors about stay home and save lives. And they're, they're saying that if you go out and do something like get a haircut, that you're putting people's lives at risk. You may be directly responsible for killing people. Well, then she goes and gets her haircut. So either she's okay with killing people, either she really believes that you might kill someone by getting your haircut, and yet she did it anyway, so she's a sociopath, in which case she's not fit for office, or she doesn't really believe that, and she knows that, look, if you're, if you're taking precautions, you're not, it's, it's, you're not a, a serial killer because you leave your house. Um, I, I'm thinking it's probably the latter. In which case, a lot of the things that she's saying, she doesn't really believe, but she's saying it anyway to control people. These are the uh, supposedly, from they believe, the, the noble lies, quote-unquote noble, that they're telling the public uh, for our own good. It's just like the thing with the mask. The CDC and, and WHO and, and even the Surgeon General told us weeks ago that masks are ineffective, and that was a lie. The only reason they said it was they, that it was for our own good, because they, they knew that we're stupid, and if they tell us that masks are effective, we're going to run out and buy masks, and there's not going to be any available for, uh, for medical professionals. Just a straight-up lie, but for our own good. How many other lies are they telling us for our own good? The lie that if you drive too far and go walk around at a park... Or if you're, you know, if you're going about your daily life but wearing a mask, you're putting lives at risk or whatever. Apparently, they don't really believe that. Now, if you don't think that what we're seeing here is a is a power trip and more about control, 
than about safety and about saving lives. And I don't know what could convince you at this point. That is exceedingly clear. Yet I still talk to people all the time who are, who are skeptical of that. You tell them that these politicians and bureaucrats are on a power trip, and they'll say, no, 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 it's, they're, just, they're, they're trying to help us. These are good people. They're, they're saving our lives. We should be grateful to them. I can't imagine being that ignorant and dense and gullible. But it's, it's, of course that's going to happen, right? Of course it's going to be a power trip. When you give people this kind of control and power, the majority of people will go insane with it. Think about the amount of power these mayors have right now over every aspect of your life. Down to telling you how long you're allowed to be outside when you exit your home. That's an incredible amount of power. And unless you are a person of, of, of great integrity and humility, it's going to go to your head and you're going to become a petty tyrant like these people have. And we know that Mayor Lightfoot and Mayor de Blasio and a lot of the other ones, they certainly are not people of great integrity and humility. That much is clear. All right, let's uh, move on to headlines. At the White House press briefing yesterday, Dr. Burks made an interesting admission. I thought this was really worth uh, paying attention to. Listen to this. So I think in this country, we've taken a very liberal approach to mortality. And I think the reporting here has been pretty straightforward over the last five to six weeks. Prior to that, when there wasn't testing in January and February, that's a very different situation um, and unknown. There are other countries that if you had a pre-existing condition and let's say the virus caused you to go to the ICU and then have a heart or kidney problem. Some countries are recording that as a heart issue or a kidney issue and not a COVID-19 death. Um, right now, we're still recording it. And we'll, I mean, the great thing about having forms that come in and a form that has the ability to mark it as COVID-19 infection, the intent is right now that those, if someone dies with COVID-19, we are counting that as a COVID-19 death. A liberal approach to mortality. Okay, so she says, uh, and, and I want to get the exact quote right. She says, if someone dies with COVID-19, we are counting that as a COVID-19 death. The problem with that should be obvious. That's her exact quote. That's what she said. The problem is that just because someone has a virus and then dies doesn't mean that they died of the virus. And that's just like with anything else. If somebody dies and it turns out they had pancreatic cancer doesn't necessarily mean they died of the cancer. They could have died of something else. They could have died of the cancer, but doesn't mean they did automatically. Uh, and considering that so many of the COVID-19 deaths, the vast majority, in fact, are people with pre-existing conditions, you have to wonder how many of them died from the virus as opposed to merely with the virus. And what she's telling us, plain as day, is that they're not making a distinction in this country anyway, we're not making a distinction between dying with the virus and dying from the virus, even though there is a very, very clear and important distinction. Number two, a father in Colorado was playing t-ball with his daughter in a park and uh, wound up getting handcuffed and arrested for it. Supposedly, he was violating social distancing, despite uh, being with his own family in apparently an empty park 
playing t-ball, they were arrested. So this is where we are now. A man being cuffed in front of his six-year-old daughter, put in a, a squad car. Here's the report done by Fox 31 in Denver. Watch. Matt Mooney says his family just wanted some fresh air. Say they went to an open space to play some t-ball, never guessing it would land him in the back of a police cruiser. Now he wants a public apology. Brighton police are apparently arresting a dad for throwing a ball to his daughter. It was a former city council member who could not believe what he was recording. In a park of about, I don't know, 30, 40 acres. But apparently that is not allowed by Brighton. Well, if you don't give us your information, we're going to put you in handcuffs in front of your six-year-old daughter. Matt Mooney is the 33-year-old dad who assured his daughter they were doing nothing wrong when police approached and told them they were violating the state's social distancing guideline. She's like, Daddy, I don't want you to get arrested. And, you know, at this point, I'm thinking there's no way they're going to arrest me. You know, there's no way. This is insane. And, you know, so I'm telling her, I'm like, don't worry, Daddy's not going to get arrested. You know, I've done nothing wrong. You know, don't worry about it. And then they arrest me. The sign at Donaldson Park says closed, but in smaller print says in groups of no more than four persons, parks remain open for walking, hiking, biking, running, and similar activities. Matt was just there with his wife and six-year-old. He says it was the officers who were violating social distancing guidelines. During this whole contact, you know, none of the officers had masks on. None of them had gloves on. You know, and they're in my face, handcuffing me. They're they're touching me. Now, first of all, this isn't really the most important point here. But what the hell kind of camera was he recording on? What? How do you even get footage like that these days? And what, was he jumping around on a trampoline while he was recording it? It was just it, it, the grainiest and jumpiest footage of something I've seen in a long time. It looked like battlefield footage from from like World War One or something. Dude, dude is out there with a with a video camera from 1917. I guess he got it from the same store that all the people who uh, have spotted Bigfoot get their get their cameras. Um, but anyway, that's not the point. Uh, the, the excuse you'll hear is that the guy was arrested uh, not because he was playing t-ball in a park, but because he, which which it even said there in the in the package that that's you're allowed to do that, even by the draconian laws that they've put in place there. In Colorado, you're still allowed to go to a park as long as you don't have more than four people and you're doing some approved activity, which it would seem that you know a, a guy going with his daughter, and I think was, the, the, the mom was there, playing t-ball would be a fine activity. So he wasn't actually arrested for that. He was arrested because he wouldn't show his ID. A cop came up to him and asked for his ID, and he wouldn't provide his ID. But why should he have to give his ID when he's in a park playing with his daughter? Why would a cop even ask for it? What does your ID have to do with anything? Do you, do you need a license to play in a park with your daughter? What are you asking for the license in the first place? And in America, it's supposed to be that a cop needs to have a reason to ask you for something like that. I, I mean, what is it? Basically, it's now a cop is coming up and, and demanding to see your papers. That's essentially what this is. Number three, here's the headline from the New York Times that says, environmentalists are using these strange times to make a point. Pollution is not something that can't, that can't be reversed. We've just reversed it. And I bring this to your attention again only as further support for the point that I was making a couple weeks ago and that many people have made. That this, uh, what we're seeing now is setting a precedent that the left is absolutely going to use. And they are advertising the fact that they're going to use it. And so here they're saying, 
look, we can we can stop pollution. Of course, all you have to do to, to cut back on pollution is just to grind the global economy to a halt and send millions of people plunging into destitution. But it can be done, apparently. So look out for the next uh, Democratic administration. Number four, the White House is now saying that it would like to start reopening the economy in four to eight weeks, is what they're saying. Now, it's of course, there's a lot of vagueness, as usual, and it's indicated that it could be earlier than that, could be later than that, who knows, but they're shooting for four to eight weeks. Of course, the problem is four to eight weeks, uh, if you try to reopen the economy in four to eight weeks, there's not going to be an economy to reopen. That is... Uh, much too far in the future. That is way too long. It's already been too long. And this vagueness, again, this vagueness is the ambiguity, is a big part of the problem. It's you. You just you can't do this. You can't put people's lives on hold indefinitely, and not tell them when it's going to be over. Businesses need to plan ahead if they have any chance of surviving. Families need to be able to plan ahead and budget, and and they need to know if if you've got a family without an income right now, they need to know how long am I going to be without an income. I might have some savings, but I got to know how I'm rationing this thing out. Number five, legendary songwriter John Prine uh, died at the age of 73 from, we're told, according to reports, complications related to coronavirus. Uh, this, you know, this one, this one, I'm pretty broken up about personally. John Prine has been one of my favorite artists, just a brilliant songwriter. Uh, is this, he had this incredible ability, ability to, to tell stories through song. But what was unique about John Prine, and there's a startling number of people I discovered last night, and I was talking about this online, startling number of people who've never heard of John Prine. I don't know how you, but if that's the case, go look him up. He tells, he's a great storyteller through song, but um, what was unique is that he would tell other people's stories much of the time. Music today often rears much more towards the self-referential, where the, the artist is, is constantly talking about himself, uh, which there's not anything wrong with that necessarily. But I think most of John Prine's greatest songs were about other people. So he was, I suppose, America's most uh, empathetic songwriter, you might say. Angel from Montgomery, probably his most well-known song, beautiful song. It's a song about an aging woman in a loveless marriage. He wrote that. You know, despite not being a woman himself, and he wrote that as a young man. Hello in there is a song uh, about the elderly, another beautiful song, and about the loneliness of aging. But he wrote that when he was in, I think, his 20s. Sam, uh, a song called Sam Stone, another great song. John Prine song, a song about uh, a drug-addicted veteran. So just songs with depth and meaning, uh, very lyrical. And I would put John Prine uh, probably above Bob Dylan as a personal preference. Uh, certainly, I would say John Prine was writing great songs for longer than Bob Dylan has, again, in my opinion. Number six, a bonus story, just to lighten things up a little bit. Some, uh, some, Just to give us something to point and laugh at, because it's been pretty heavy up until now. So some Democrats in Congress have been trying to set a good example, walking around in masks. Okay, good for them. The only problem is that, well, look at, look at these pictures here. We've got Chuck Schumer. And Sheila Jackson Lee wearing masks. What's the problem here with the way they're wearing them? There, there seems to be a conceptual problem. They seem to be having an issue with the very concept of the mask. Um, covering. Sorry, I missed that. 
Could you say it again, please? Why is Siri talking to me? Hold on. What do you want, Siri? Interesting question. Siri, what do you want? Why are you talking to me? Are we all going to die, Siri? Siri. Siri. Okay. That was creepy. They're listening. She's listening. She's listening to every word I say. Uh, anyway, we're worried. Okay, so yeah, they don't know how to wear masks. They're, they're leaving, leaving the nose uncovered, uh, but uh, the mouth. It's, it's kind of like a, a football player wearing a face mask but no helmet. Kind of defeats the purpose. Let's go to your daily cancellation. This will be a quick one. People, uh, People's Daily is a propaganda outfit for the Chinese government, and it poses as a news outlet, of course, as, as all propaganda outfits do. Yesterday, it posted a video of, 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 of um, uh, a video that uh, I, I think this video deserves to be mentioned in the dictionary under tone deaf. Because look at this screenshot. They've deleted it, apparently. I'm just discovering. So they, they took it down. But here's a screenshot. It says, uh, look at, it says, have a taste of Wuhan. Let these mouthwatering specialties in Wuhan satisfy your stomach. A taste of Wuhan. Mouth-watering specials. Yes, yes, we've had a taste of Wuhan, all right. We've had quite enough of Wuhan. I think the entire world has. What do you think, though? You see that dish there. What is that dish in the picture? Because it's got it's got very kind of some sort of dark black substance. I'm thinking it looks maybe like a, a ground bat over pasta with scallions, which is a pretty good dish. By the way, definitely a staple in my house, kind of a comfort food. I grew up with it, uh, I, though I do pr- prefer usually my bat to be uh, seared in a cast iron skillet and then just lightly baked. So what you're going for is that crispy uh, crust of the bat, and then inside you want a nice medium rare cook. That's how I prefer it, really delicious. But you know, if I'm, if I'm going to cancel anyone for Chinese propaganda, actually, it shouldn't be a Chinese propaganda outlet because that's their job, right? Is to just do Chinese propaganda, and so you can hardly blame them for it. But um, I think our media, our media, doing propaganda for the Chinese government—that's a much bigger problem. So, for example, and there are many examples of this. Here's the latest, one of the most egregious. ABC News this morning posted a video from China of a light show that the government put on to celebrate that they're opening uh, Wuhan again. And here's the video. This is a video that ABC News posted on their Twitter account. Watch. Okay, so that is literal Chinese state propaganda that ABC News is passing along. They're not reporting on it. They're not offering commentary on it. They're just passing it along like a like the Chinese propaganda outlets in China do. The Chinese government comes up with the propaganda piece, the video package, and they just assign it. They hand it out and, and now even our media says, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and amplify that message for you. Absolutely despicable. Let's move on to emails, and you can email the show. Uh, you got to become a Daily Wire member. If you're a Daily Wire member, you have access to the mailbag, and you can send your, your emails. Um, 
And as always, I do enjoy emails telling me why I'm wrong about things so that we can argue with each other, which is my favorite pastime. So I've got a why I'm wrong email, but first, a couple others I want to read briefly. This is from Liz. It says, I just wanted to say, I too suffer from the fear of elevators shooting out of the top of, of the building. I, was, I divulged that irrational fear of mine uh, yesterday and then immediately regretted saying it out loud. Although I've gotten a few emails from people saying that they, this is apparently a, a more common fear than I thought. Liz says, I was recently, well, not too recently, in a hospital and needed to go to the top floor. Unbeknownst to me, the attached parking garage was not as tall as the hospital itself. I get in the elevator, one with a glass side that's exposed uh, to said parking garage. As the elevator climbed, it began going above the parking garage, and I lost my mind. My brain ceased functioning, and, and as I saw the parking garage get farther below me, I thought for sure my fear was coming to fruition. Rest assured, the elevator stopped safely at the top of the hospital, let me out, and I haven't stepped foot on one since. I'm, I'm just glad to know I'm not alone, Liz. So it's me, Liz. I think there's two other people that emailed and said they have the same fear. Not of the. I never worry about an elevator crashing. That would be way too reasonable to worry about that. My my worry is that something malfunctioned and it just blasts out the top of the building. This is from Chad. It says, "Thank you for bringing up the article about the the virus reactivating and how the science does not support this." I am a biochemist in Michigan that predominantly studies pediatric cancer. However, with the current situation, the local hospital system has elicited support from the university I work for to do literature reviews for scientific papers involving COVID-19 so as to help emphasize um, what literature should be reviewed by local clinicians as they prepare to care for infected patients. I was eager to be involved in the process uh, in, a, in, a, to in, in a small way contribute in helping the healthcare workers that are sacrificing every day to help those that are sick. On a side note, my sister's a nurse in Detroit, and my niece is a nurse in the Bronx. So from conversations with them, I am very aware of the sacrifices they're making. While doing these literature reviews, I have been sadly disappointed in the poor level of science that is being exhibited in most of these articles. I know this pandemic is new and evolving very quickly, and there's a need to get literature out quickly, but I have found that most articles are either simply opinion pieces or straight propaganda from Chinese scientists proclaiming how well their country handled the situation. Having done science for close to 20 years, I would normally shrug this off as papers that were submitted to low-quality journals. However, I've noticed that even high-quality journals such as the New England Journal of Medicine and Nature have published papers that are low in quality and scientific value. I am saddened that the scientific community seems to be divulging into propaganda. Maybe I am naive in believing this is only happening now. As scientists, we often live in a bubble of our specific field and a certain set of journals. Anyway, long story short, I'm grateful that you're using the platform to inform others to be more skeptical of the literature that is being presented to us. Uh, well, Chad, I appreciate that um, insight. That's, that's interesting to hear from someone with actual scientific expertise, of which I have none myself. Um, all right. Why I'm Wrong. This is from Tony. Says, hey, Matt, thanks for a great show. You always have interesting and unique perspectives. I was listening to your recent All Access Live show, and was a which you can hear at 8 p.m., Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, uh, every single day, All Access Live. And this is open to, if you're a Daily Wire member, you don't have to be an All Access member for now. Uh, and we, we do these every day. Nice little little bit of companionship, a way of breaking up the isolation. So I did one on Monday. And one of the questions I was asked, it's just kind of a back and forth Q&A type of thing. Um, but one of the questions I was asked by somebody was, uh, what do I think are, is, is the best argument for God, for the existence of God. 
and I gave what I thought was the best and, and what I thought were, and I gave a, a few examples of arguments that I thought were not very persuasive. And, um, and I said that I think the cosmological argument, the, or the argument from first cause, you know, any version of that, uh, I find those to be unpersuasive arguments, whereas the argument from consciousness, in my opinion, is one of the best arguments for God. Okay. You said the cosmological argument was not a strong argument when, in fact, it is generally cited as one of the strongest, if not the strongest, argument for God's existence by many Christian apologists. In response to your objection saying that the universe can be eternal, uh, I think you missed the point that the universe is in itself a physical quantity. The universe is composed of time, space, and matter, which points to a timeless, spaceless, and immaterial cause of the universe. Furthermore, if the universe somehow extended into the past forever, we would never have arrived at this current moment. The idea of the eternal universe, therefore, becomes nonsensical. And finally, all current scientific evidence points to a beginning of the universe, i.e. the Big Bang Theory. Not to criticize you too much, but your argument from consciousness didn't quite square with me either. Could you not say that we evolved to have a consciousness to help us survive? I've read some things about how consciousness helps us run simulations in our head, which ultimately help us to make better decisions. Looking at, this, at it this way, couldn't an atheist easily say we evolved consciousness because it is beneficial to our species? Of course, this would be to commit the genetic fallacy, but that's another story. Thanks, Tony. Okay, Tony, well, I would say, yeah, I know that I'm, I'm taking the contrarian view here, which, which probably shouldn't surprise you, and I'm playing devil's advocate, okay? So we're talking about what, do I, what I think is, um, just from my perspective, you know, what, what are the best arguments for God? And I know that there are some Christians, many Christians probably, who you talk to who would, who would basically say that every argument for the existence of God is great and persuasive and compelling and decisive. But um, that's just, you know, that's obviously our bias talking uh, because some arguments are better than others. And you say that the Christian apologists all say that this is a really compelling argument. Well, okay, but of course they're going to find it compelling. See, but when you're making an argument, apologetic argument, you're not trying to convince Christian apologists because they already share your assumptions. There, there are certain basic assumptions we bring to the, obviously, we have a certain worldview. We bring it to every discussion. And so if a certain argument is compelling to people who, sh who share your basic assumptions, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be compelling to people who don't share that assumption. Um, and so I think it's interesting if you can uh, get an atheist, who, a thoughtful atheist who's going to be honest about it, and ask them what do they think the strongest theistic arguments are. And I've heard you know, many atheists give their opinion on this. Uh, and you're not going to hear them say the cosmological argument. What they will say oftentimes is the fine-tuning argument. That was, in fact, Christopher Hitchens said that he thinks that's the strongest argument for theism. Um, which, that doesn't mean that it's necessarily the best argument just because Christopher Hitchens said it. But if someone who does not share your underlying assumptions, even they say, okay, that's a pretty strong argument, then that should tell you something. So, uh, there's that. In general, though, with the cosmological argument, I think, okay, here, here's, here's the basic problem I have with it. Um, when you, when you argue that, uh, well, the, the universe had to have a beginning because it's just, it's illogical, right, for something to have no beginning, uh, to, to, for it to exist forever. So it had to have some sort of cause, and, and then God is that cause. Well, it's, it seems like what you're trying to do is to say that it is illogical, it is, it is a logical impossibility for something to have no cause or no beginning. 
But if it is a logical impossibility, then that would also apply to God, right? Because even God cannot do things that are logically impossible. God cannot make a, 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 a rectangular square, right? Or a circular triangle. That's a logical impossibility. It's nonsensical. So the, the whole thing about can God make a boulder too, too heavy for him to lift, um, you know, that's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a logical impossibility. And so sort of the answer is no. And that's, there's no real problem there saying no. Um, so it's, it seems like the argument's trying to make a logical case, but then that would apply to God. So what, if, if you say, well, you know, something has to have a beginning, or, you know, something has to have a beginning, uh, and then that's, and then God is the beginning of the universe, then of course the atheist response is, well, then who started God or who caused God? And typically this is where most theists will kind of scoff at that response and say, that's silly. It's actually not a silly response. It's a, it's a totally legitimate, logical response to your argument because you just said that everything has to have a beginning. Well, God is something, isn't he? Uh, so it, it, it seems like it's trying to make a logical argument that it then abandons when it comes to God, and that, and that doesn't quite work. Um, also, look, you know, you, you, there are ways, atheists have ways around this. Well, they'll, they'll say, yeah, well, we know that there was a big bang. We know that the observable universe has a, a beginning, but we don't know what happened before then. And we also don't know, you know, we could live in a multiverse. We could live in a, in a bubble universe where there, there are trillions, maybe infinite number of universes, and we're just living in one little, one little section, one little bubble that started 14 billion years ago. But that doesn't mean that the entire thing started 14 billion years ago. Uh, maybe... You know, and maybe every black hole contains its own universe. There's all kinds of maybes and what ifs, and that all that sounds implausible. It sounds implausible to me too, but it's not impossible logically. It could be true, um, and I, I think all the atheist needs to do is 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 say is argue that it's at least possible that we live in an eternal multiverse. That's a it's, it's a possible thing. It's not scientifically impossible. And uh, if you agree to that, which I think you have to, because it is scientifically possible, then it kind of destroys that argument, I think. But um, going to the argument for consciousness. Now, as I said, I think that that is the strong, at least one of the strongest arguments for theism, along with the fine-tuning argument, I think is strong. And there are others, too. Uh, the argument for morality, I think, is strong. But the consciousness argument, now you say the atheist response to that is um, is well, you know, we, we would have evolved consciousness because it's very useful. Well, yeah, I could see how consciousness is useful, but this is not a question of why is consciousness useful. It's, it's how could inanimate matter first become animate, become life, and then develop somehow um, a sense of its own self? Because on a, on a, on a, on a purely materialistic basis, we are all just atoms, right? We're all just collections of atoms. So how could it be that a collection of atoms could come together in a certain way to develop a, a, an experience, an awareness of its own self? Uh, that, to me, seems like it is impossible, even almost a logical impossibility. And so it demands some other kind of immaterial explanation especially when consciousness itself appears to be an immaterial thing. And so that, I would argue, gets us away from, uh, or it pokes a huge hole in, at least, materialism. And now you've opened the door for God. And that, that's why I think 
that's a compelling argument. But again, you know, I'm, I'm speaking as someone obviously with a huge bias, so that's just from my, my own perspective. But thanks for that um, email. Thanks for everybody for watching. Have a great day. God bless. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. Our exalted experts want to hold us prisoner to coronavirus for another 18 months, while prosecutors dish out felony charges to formerly free Americans who have the goal to go outside for a walk. We will examine the junk science behind the most outrageous political power grab of our lifetime. Then China infiltrates a White House press briefing. President Trump threatens to cut funding to the World Health Organization. And Joe Biden steps up and addresses the nation about his weakness for Fig Newtons. All that and more, check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.